Welcome to the Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, the Director of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bible Teacher at the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. We'd like you to learn more about how God is using us to bring Christ to the nations. And to do so, you can go to traincpe.org. And to learn more about this radio ministry and our fellowship in Boise, go to breadoflifeboise.org. I'd like to set up our consideration of Romans 2.4 today, where we're told that God is rich in grace, forbearance, and patience towards us, and that His goodness is designed to lead us to repent and turn to Him with this thought. There was a shallow movement a few years ago against a person saying that they were blessed. It was a statement of privilege we were told that as such wasn't proper. Well, that idea is wrong. The fact is, everyone experiences blessings from God. What is wrong is the thought that those blessings prove that you're a good person or that you deserve those blessings. Instead, God deals with us in grace and mercy. That means he gives us good things that we don't deserve, and he holds back from us the bad things that we do. The last two weeks we were looking at Romans chapter 2 verses 1 through 3. We'll continue to go forward and look at verses 4 and 5 here. And the thing that we've taken note of and we'll underscore again this morning is that everybody is a moralist on some level. Everybody is a moralist. It's the default mode of the way in which we engage humans. It's the default mode in which we live our lives. We're moralists and the essence of our moralism is that we seek to promote a moral status in ourselves and we seek to, in a sense, create some distance in our life in our pursuit for a self-salvation. Paul is speaking to the moralist. The moralist who has just read the first words of Paul's letter in Romans chapter 1, and particularly verses 18 through 32, where Paul catalogs the defilement that comes upon the nation and the society because they're totally given over to paganism and because they've totally rejected God. And as Paul says in verse 18, because they suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because of the sin, Paul says in verse 18 that God's wrath is being revealed against all manner of ungodliness and unrighteousness against those who suppress the truth and righteousness. Then he gives this description of, you might say, the pathway of decay that comes upon society and the depth of degradation that society finds themselves in. And Paul now is anticipating that individuals are reading that and saying, Paul, you're right. Amen. Brother, preach it. These people are horrible and they're facing your wrath and your judgment. Then Paul turns the tables on them. Be careful what you say amen to. Because now Paul points out to them that their attitude and their mindset and their moralistic self-approval because they don't do those things and they're good people is actually indicting them. They followed some prescribed notion of what it means to be good and righteous and to be set apart from people who are careless and thoughtless and evil and they're better than them. And now Paul is pointing out to us that this is kind of the default mode of everyone. And that there's not an answer in these things. Paul is pulling down this false notion that's within them. There's no salvation, he's telling them, in your moralisms. That your moralisms only demonstrate that you know enough of God's standard of right and wrong to be accountable before him and without excuse. There's no salvation in your moralisms because at some level, you, the moralist, are guilty of breaking the same laws. The very things that you accuse other people of doing, you're sensitive to because, well, you've connived the same path at some level in your own life and you're carrying it out in your own life. And there's no salvation in your moralisms because 
God is going to judge you not according to the front that you put on, not according to the inflated view of your own moral superiority that you have, but God is going to judge you. And even now is taking notes. He's judging you is the idea here. He's finding out the truth about you. The truth about you. God is going to judge you by truth, according to truth. And he knows the absolute truth of your life. He knows the absolute truth of your inner thoughts. He knows the absolute truth of the hidden motivations of your heart. He knows the things that you know about yourself that you try to ignore and the things you don't want anybody else to know about yourself. He knows all of these things. God knows you perfectly. There is no salvation in your moralism as well, he says, because there's no escape from that judgment. You are heading to that time and that period and that moment before you stand before this God who knows you perfectly and knows all your sins and knows that as you've been judging others and approving yourself that you were guilty of the same things. That's the argument he has here. And we're going to press on here a little bit further, but the point here is that everybody on some level is a moralist. In fact, what I want to do for just a moment is I want to just, before we get into the points of the message, I want to think about these ideas. I want to just keep us at this thought that everyone at some level is a moralist. Moralizing is our means of self-justification. It's our attempt to establish ourselves in a form of self-righteousness that allows us to rise up above the level of somebody else who's not quite as righteous as ourselves. I had a friend of our families that we'd known for a number of years. She had ran away from home as a young girl. Her name was Mary. Mary married a young man who wanted to be a rock star and never really arrived. Instead, she spent about 25 years as his roadie, showing up at one bar after another bar after another bar, helping him set up his stage, and then sitting with the crowd at the bar, listening to her husband as he performed. And the time came when she came back to Christ and gave her life to him. And she shared with me, she was actually with me in Russia at the time, that the most judgmental people that I've ever met were in those bars. I sat with them weekly for over 20 years, and invariably, if someone in the group left the table to go to the restroom or to go get another round of drinks, they would begin berating that person behind their backs. She's such a lush. She's such a liar. She is such a floozy, and on and on would go the conversation. Whatever the character flaw was in, whatever the known failure in that person's life was, it became the subject of conversation in their absence. The need to exalt ourselves in contrast to the failures of others, even the exaggerated idea of the failures of others, never seems to go away. This is our hope of salvation for many people, especially true individuals who have not found the life and the righteousness and the salvation that comes through faith in Jesus Christ alone, who instead feel that somehow they're going to be saved because they just outpace somebody else. You know, if you're going to be chased by a grizzly bear, just make sure you're faster than one other person, right? And they're just thinking, God's not going to catch me. He's not going to hunt me down because I'm better at least than this person or that person. And you don't think that's in your attitude. Just find out. It's constantly going on. It's constantly spewed out on the conversations you have with people. Talk to your neighbor across the fence. Discuss with them how their week has gone. Let the conversation go on for any period of time. Ask them about the state of the world or the state of their lives. And before long, they'll begin moralizing. They'll begin speaking of others who are not quite measuring up, who are failing them. And what's the instinct behind that? Well, the instinct is this need of self-justification. This need to feel that we're morally outpacing ourselves from somebody else. And ultimately, it's it's designed by us as some way to approve ourselves, to feel that 
as a result, we will safely reach some place of ultimate transcendence and we'll be saved. This is just within the nature of everyone. It's what's taking place. And interestingly enough, there is a bit of logic behind this. A person can look at their lives and say, well, one of the things they say, by the way, is this. Here's what Paul is going to say. You're under judgment. And Paul is anticipating the argument that's going to come in return from the moralist. He'll say, what do you mean that I'm under God's judgment? Do you know how good my life is? Do you know the blessings in my life? Do you know what just happened this week? Do you know how many friends I have? Have you seen how successful my business is? And they'll start adding up all the different benefits in their life. And they'll say, this is evidence that I'm good with God. That God is actually pleased with the route I'm taking. And he and I are on, we're on good terms with one another. You, you can't suggest that I'm under God's judgment. Because my life is paying dividends. And I'm experiencing good things. Actually, what they're doing is they're pounding all those good things and they're using that as a part of the argument for why it is that they're going to escape God's judgment. And there's a bit of logic to what they're saying. We're born into a moral world that has moral laws that govern it. If you live according to those moral laws, to any extent, you'll find that when you do, they put you in a favorable position. You know, the Bible says that if you cast the seed to the wind, you'll reap the whirlwind. And that's true, but it's also conversely true. If when you sow into your life a thoughtfulness of others, an honesty, and integrity, and a consideration, and loyalty, and truthfulness, that over time, those seeds that you plant, just practically, morally, will begin to produce kind of dividends in your life where you'll be more successful in your business, and your undertakings, and your relationships will go well because God has created a, a world that is governed by moral laws. And so the moralists can say, and point to those and say, see, this all worked out well for me. See, I'm doing okay. My life is benefiting because I'm following these things. And that becomes his argument that he's good with God. That's why I'm doing better than that guy is. And that's why my business is successful and his isn't. It's because people don't know. They don't know how to do the right things, but I'm doing the right things in the right places. That's why my life is good. That's the argument the moralist gives. Here's an interesting thing though. Everybody is a moralist. (laughs) Even at the lowest rung of society, people are moralizing and thinking they're better than somebody else. And here's how that misinterpretation takes place. The Bible also tells us that God is good to everyone. That even when people don't deserve it, God gives good benefits to them. Jesus said that God sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. I said this before, but when I was a boy, I thought that meant that God did bad things to the unrighteous and the righteous both. Because who wants it to rain? You can't play in the rain. But actually, what was being said there was God provides. God gives the field of the righteous man and the unrighteous man the rain that it needs to produce the crop, to provide for the people and provide for himself. God is good to all. God provides benefits and blessings on everyone, including the righteous and the unrighteous man. And as a result, the person, regardless of how they live, because everybody moralizes and everybody thinks they're better than somebody else, has an argument. They can find evidence in their life that their life is surrounded by benefits. They've had good things happen to them. You know, they've had overcome difficulties and hardships and they've experienced common graces in which every single day they have shelter and they've got a roof over their head and they've got relationships that help them and they have energy and they have friendships and they have a feeling of accomplishment and they have opportunities that come their way and one way or another there are some measure of benefits come their life and then every single day in the middle of all these things there's a certain level of order usually in people's lives we of all people know this there's an order in our society that sustains us and leads to success 
We can point at all those things and say, you see, I must be an all right person. I must basically be on, on a good level with God because look at all the things that are taking place. I'm all right with God. Look at all the good things that he sent my way. I'm not under his judgment. Everything between God and I is all right. See, I'm not such a bad person after all. How could you say that I'm under God's judgment when good things like this are happening to me? That's the moralist answer to the suggestion that his moralizing won't save him, that his pathway to self-justification isn't working. Seems to be working to me, he says. Look at how good my life is, at least in spots and places. Here's Paul's answer. Let's look at the point Paul makes, the first point Paul makes. And now we're, we're finding ourselves in verse 4 here of Romans chapter 2. Paul says this. Let's start with God, Paul says. God is a God who is rich in goodness and forbearance and patience or long-suffering towards everyone. God is good to everyone. God is forbearing to everyone. God is long-suffering. God is patient to everyone. Let's look at these three words here for a second. The goodness of God is God's readiness and willingness to give us advantages in life. I want to direct you to a website that we've developed called testyourtestimony.com. It goes along with a book that we've written called Saving Evangelicals. The website and the book were written to help you follow the instruction of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 5 to test yourself and see whether you're in the faith. I encourage you to go to the site and also recommend it to anyone that you know it would be of great help to. To learn more about our ministry, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. This has been the Bread of Life. Until the next time, God bless you.